0: Congratulations, True Crime Addicts. We've survived another week. It's Friday, December 17th, 2021. And these are the top true crime stories where? <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Uh, in the world. Um, the, before we get started, I just want to I, I say I hope everybody's safe where they're at. This Omicron uh, variant is not to be messed with. I hope everybody's wearing masks Um, I did, uh, we, we just found here in the Renner studios earlier today, my wife tested positive for COVID. The kids are uh, playing games downstairs. She's resting upstairs. I've snuck away to give you the news. There's not much else I can do for the next like 10 days as we're quarantined. So, uh, just make sure that you're, you're staying safe. This is no laughing matter. We're all vaxxed here, by the way. And, uh, and yet she's still got it. She's feeling a little achy. Thankfully, she was vaccinated or else it would have been 10 times worse. Um, make sure you're taking care of yourself. Um, the top story this week seems like something that the Coen brothers would write. And I hope they do. I hope they do the adaptation of this. This, is, this story is so uh, American, by the way. Um, it, it, it's not something I could see really happening in another country. Uh, The amount of money in play is just insane. I'm going to... I'm spoiling it. I'm going to jump into it here. Um, This concerns one Eric Charles Mond, who's an executive at Mond Automotive Group in Austin, Texas. And uh, we're going to go back in time. And this... Because this story begins right before COVID. We're talking February 2020, when you could still go places. Uh, that is when eric mond went to nashville and hooked up with a young woman named holly williams as you do he got back he started getting texts from william's boyfriend william lanway and uh he texted mond he's like uh, hey i um, heard you're hooked up with my girlfriend and uh, you're married so why don't you pay me some money or i'm going to tell your wife now, Mond, instead of paying Lanway a conservative fee to make it go away, instead, he goes to his friends, Gilad Uh Pallid, by the way, is a is a member, a former member of Israeli defense. Brian, uh, Byron Brockway and Adam Carey. And now, uh, they're, they're kind of like the A-team, but not quite as prestigious. They're, so let's consider them like the B-team. Now, Mond, uh, according to the indictment, he gives Palied $15,000 to kind of get the ball rolling. What are they doing? Mm -hmm. Well, I I think you know where this is eventually going. Um, You don't pay a former member of Israeli defense $15,000 to do anything nice. Six days after that, Mond deposits $150,000. There's my, uh, there's my Ohio accent coming out. I heard that, right? 100, uh, $150,000 into an account controlled by Pallid. At that point, once the money's transferred, Brockway and Carrie then go to the couple's apartment. They go to visit Holly Williams and her boyfriend, William Lanway. And they shoot dead William Lanway, the extortionist. Then they kidnap Williams, They put her in the rental car next to Lanway's dead body. I hope they got the insurance for that trip. They go to a construction site, and there they kill Williams. They kill them both. Mon then transfers $750,000 to Palid, who then pays it to the other people. You know, uh, I'm no mathematician, but... um, that seems to add up to close to a million dollars. It's $900,000 and some change. So I, I kind of wonder what Lanway was asking for originally. I'm sure it wasn't that pricey. Mon probably could have you know, swept this all under the rug for about $50,000 if he had negotiated properly, but uh, instead he, he pays over $900,000 to kill these two people. And now, as of last Friday... Each and every one of these people involved in this conspiracy were arrested by the FBI and Nashville Police in various locations throughout the United States. They're all on their way to Tennessee to face trial. Nice job. Uh, Another top story here. It's an update on motive in the Philip Adams case. Are you familiar with this case? You should be. It's, It's kind of a big deal. Uh, Philip Adams was a big deal football player. And uh, if you really want to learn more about this case, I I really suggest you Google it and take the time to find this wonderful article in Sports Illustrated. It's um, written by a, a writer named Brandon Sneed. It's a, it's a long-form piece of journalism in, in the new journalism school of thought, up there with Tom Wolfe. It's it's a, very, it's a very good read. Check it out. Um, the link is in the liner notes at the end, by the way. Philip Adams was a cornerback. He played college football for South Carolina State Bulldogs. In 2010, he was drafted in the seventh round for the uh, San Francisco 49ers. He also played for the New England Patriots, Oakland Raiders, Seattle Seahawks, New York Jets, Atlanta Falcons. Around 4.30 p.m. this past April 7th, Adams, dressed up in camouflage, put on a black motorcycle helmet. He got two automatic rifles, jumped on his four-wheeler at his parents' place in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And then he drove a mile down the road and turned into the woods, got off the four-wheeler, started walking down a trail into the woods. Eventually he comes along a, uh, a brick mansion. It's a huge estate. He runs into a couple HVAC contractors, James Lewis and Robert Shook, and he uh, shoots and kills them both. Shook holds on for a little while. Then he goes inside, Philip goes inside the house, this this huge mansion. And there he finds Dr. Robert Leslie, along with his wife Barbara, and two of their grandchildren, 9-year-old Ada and 5-year-old Noah. He shoots and kills them all. By the time the police show up, Philip is gone. There appears to be no motive In this case, it doesn't seem as if Philip even knew this doctor. Later that night, Philip kills himself. After a standoff with police, the police at one point send in a robot to negotiate with him. So what the hell, right? What what happened here? The police have been searching for a motivation all this time. There were rumors that maybe he was involved with a cult. There were some weird writings that they found. That uh, Sports Illustrated article by Brandon Sneed that came out a couple months ago, it uh, at one point wonders if the cause wasn't CTE. That stands for Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy. It's a condition you get when you're hit on the head a lot, as if, you know, you played professional football. Flash forward to this week. ESPN is reporting as of December 14th that was Tuesday a couple, just a couple days ago on uh, Philip Adams' autopsy. The autopsy has autopsy has revealed that he did in fact have stage two CTE. His brain in fact resembled that of Aaron Hernandez another former football star who hanged himself in prison at the age of 27 while serving a life sentence for murder. This uh, traumatic brain injury that you get from playing football so much, uh, it damages your frontal lobe, and that's very important. If, if you're you know true crime fans, true crime addicts should recognize the frontal lobe as that part that... Um, controls impulse. It's your impulse control center what makes us human it tends to be damaged in serial killers as well um, and it's it, it's it's kind of what breaks down when you get a hit on the head so much and uh, that seems to be the motive here. the Adams family uh, this is Phillips Family told reporters that Philip had been desperately seeking help from the NFL before this murder spree, but was denied claims because he couldn't remember his appointments or evaluations, so he could never fill out the paperwork needed to get the help he needed from the NFL. Um, I, uh, you know, we, we are living (laughs) in the end times of football within our lifetime. Uh, you're young enough um you know i i I would say within the next 10 years uh what we see as football is is not going to be what it is anymore if it in fact even is on tv i'm here in ohio we have this huge football team out of uh massillon there are documentaries made about it um you know sometime in the next few years we're not going to have high school football anymore i mean how can you you get it hit on the head a couple times, you know. You get this itchy trigger finger. So um, it's an interesting story. This 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 week is full of weird, crazy stories in the world of true crime. Um, especially this next one. Picture the opening scroll of of Star Wars. It's coming up just like the last Star Wars sequel, where it pops up somehow Palpatine has returned, and then everything falls apart from there. Well, this week, that scrawl comes up, and it says, somehow Zodiac has returned. That's right, he might be back. Um, This report comes from Syracuse.com. The FBI is saying that earlier this week, someone claiming to be the, quote, Chinese Zodiac killer sent several messages to news stations around upstate New York. Now hold on. I know I said Chinese Zodiac killer, but it wraps around in a weird friggin' way here in a second. And and by the way, what do they mean by Chinese Zodiac killer? This this person. Is it is it is is it about the Chinese Zodiac? You know, we're in the year of the ox, by the way, if you're going by the Chinese Zodiac calendar. Or is it uh like somebody that's Chinese that wants to be the Zodiac? I, the modifier's weird here from a g- grammatical perspective. I'm not exactly sure what they're... I, they're prob- they probably mean the, the Chinese Zodiac. Anyways, here's where it gets really weird. So this Chinese Zodiac killer sends messages to all these news stations in upstate New York, except, except for the albany times union newspaper and why is that important well here you go the albany times union got a real letter from the zodiac in 1973 after they published a story about him and here's what it said back in 73 you were wrong i'm not dead or in the hospital i'm alive and well i'm going to start killing again below is the is the name and location of my next victim But you'd better hurry because I'm going to kill. August 10th at 5 p.m. when the shifts change. Albany is a nice town. Okay, we're going to go one more twist here. One of the Zodiac's victims was Darlene Farron. Remember her? She was in a parked car with Mike Majot when she was shot to death at Blue Rings, or I'm sorry, Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo. If you remember the Zodiac movie, uh, Zodiac, um, that's how the movie begins. There's that, you know, the young couple that gets together in the car. You, they're about to start necking. And then this guy comes up and, and shoots them. Kills Darlene Farron. Mike Majot gets shot several times and lives. Well, here's the interesting thing. Darlene's ex-husband was a guy named James Phillips, who changed his name to James Crabtree in nineteen sixty nine. That's always that always strikes me as weird when men change their names. It's it's odd. Um, James Crabtree matches the description of the guy that shot Darlene Farron to death, according to Mike Majot. Before moving to California, James Crabtree worked at Wait for it, Albany Times Union. Dun dun da, da da dun, dun nah, ba. Uh, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what all that means, but it's very strange. The FBI is asking for these stations to hold on to the letters so they can check it for DNA. Uh, maybe it's a troll. Probably it's a troll, but maybe the Zodiac has come back. Think about that for a second. We'll be back in two and two with more true crime this week. Welcome back to PM Magazine with Michael Stanley. Just kidding. It's uh, still true crime this week with James Renner. Um, And uh, here we are. I'm going to do, do, you know, normally this is where we do updates on cold cases. I want to do something a little bit different this week because it's important to me. I hope it's important to you. Uh, This week was the nine-year anniversary of the Sandy Hook Massacre. Um, This happened on December 14, 2012. I want to revisit this real quick because I I think um, this should have been the event that changed everything. This should have been the event that changed the gun laws in the United States it should have been the event that stopped these school shootings. And as you've seen in the last couple of episodes, these things just keep happening. They are typically the top true crime stories of the week. Um, and I'm going to do something that I, I hate to do. I don't normally do. Um, but um, I don't want to do a deep dive on my own and, and, and muddle something together and have this narrative that I built. Um, so I'm just going to read from... Uh, what's online about the Sandy Hook shooting. Uh, I, I read through this earlier to remind myself, and it, uh, it it's just, it's the best way to kind of present this. Um, here's a little background for you. As of November 30th, 2012, five, uh, 456 children were enrolled in kindergarten through fourth grade at Sandy Hook Elementary School. School security protocols had recently been upgraded, requiring visitors to be individually admitted into the school. Newtown, by the way, is in Fairfield, Connecticut. That's about 60 miles outside New York City. Violent crime in that town is very rare. Only one homicide in the town in 10 years before the, sh- the shooting. Uh, enter one 20-year-old uh, Lanza Adam Lanza. Uh, Adam Lanza uh, uh, is on the Spectrum, by the way, uh, Asperger's. <sighs> At 20, in Connecticut, he was too young to own handguns. He could carry a rifle or shotgun. The guns he used that day had been purchased legally by his mother, uh, which is reminiscent of the Rittenhouse case, isn't it? In some ways, not that she bought But uh, she drove him there. Uh, Lanza shot and killed his mother. This is how the day starts off. 9.30 a.m., Friday, December 14th, 2012. Good morning. Shoots his mother, Nancy Lanza, who bought the guns. Age 52. She's uh, in pajamas in her bed. Four gunshot wounds to her head. Uh, Lanza packs up his Bushmaster XM-15E2S rifle and 10 magazines with 30 rounds each, and heads to school. Principal Don Hochsprung and school psychologist Mary Sherlock were meeting with other faculty members when they heard but did not recognize gunshots. Lead teacher Natalie Hammond went into the hall to determine the source of the sounds and was uh, encountered by Lanza. A faculty member who was at the meeting said that the three women women called out, Shooter! Stay Put, which alerted their college, colleagues to the danger and saved some lives. And they'd heard gunshots, a teacher hiding in the math lab. Heard school janitor Rick Thorne yell, put the gun down. Lanza killed them both. A nine-year-old boy stated that he heard the shooter say, put your hands up and someone else say, don't shoot. He also heard many people yelling and many gunshots. Diane Day a school therapist who had been at the faculty meeting. Heard screaming, followed by gunshots. A second teacher who was a substitute teacher was wounded in the attack. She was hit in the foot with a bullet that ricocheted. Lens had never entered her classroom. Uh, I just want to break in here and say I have a daughter who's in fourth grade right now. And there was an incident a couple weeks ago where I... uh, uh, kid talked about having a gun in his backpack wasn't true he was just trying to show off but uh, for the next couple of days they had the metal detector set up and you know there but for the grace of god um after killing hocksprung and sherlock lanza entered the main office but apparently did not see the people hiding there returned to the hallway school nurse sally uh, cox 60 years old, hid under her desk. She later described seeing the door opening in Lanza's boots and legs facing her desk from approximately 20 feet away. He remained standing for a few seconds before turning around. He's not done. Lanza then entered a first grade classroom where Lauren Rousseau, a substitute teacher, had herded her first grade students to the back of the room. She was trying to hide them in a bathroom when Lanza forced his way into the class. Rousseau and 15 students in Rousseau's class were all killed 14 of the children were dead at the scene one injured children was taken to the hospital but was later declared dead most of the teachers and students were found crowded together in the bathroom a six-year-old girl the sole survivor was found by police in the classroom following the shooting she hid in the corner of the class during the shooting her family's pastor said she survived by playing dead When she reached her mother, she said, Mommy, I'm okay, but all my friends are dead. The child described the shooter as a very angry man. A girl hiding in a bathroom with two teachers told police that she heard the boy in the classroom screaming, Help me, I don't want to be here. To which Lanza responded, Well, you're here. Followed by hammering sounds. Lanza next went to the other first grade classroom. According to some reports, the classroom's teacher... Victoria Soto had concealed some of her students in a closet or bathroom and some of the students were hiding under desks. Soto was walking back to the classroom door to lock it when Lanza entered. Lanza walked to the back of the classroom, saw the children under the desks, and shot them. First grader Jesse Lewis shouted at his classmates to run for safety and several of them did. Lewis was looking at Lanza when Lanza fatally shot him. Another account given by Given by a surviving child's father, said that Soto had moved the children to the back of the classroom. They were seated on the floor when Lanza entered. A Hartford Current report said that six of the children who escaped did so when Lanza stopped shooting, either because his weapon jammed or he erred in reloading it. I don't know what you do. When something like that happens. But um, I know you don't do nothing. So, you know, I think as I continue to do this, we're going to pay attention to these anniversaries for a bit. Moving on, uh, this past Tuesday, a federal judge granted a compassionate release for a 90-year-old felon who's been serving life in prison. His crime? Did he... uh, Was he the mastermind of some heist of a uh, Las Vegas casino? No, no. Was he he a a spy selling secrets to China or something? This 90-year-old guy serving a life sentence? No, 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 no. His crime was trafficking marijuana. The devil's lettuce. Left-handed cigarettes. Horatio Estrada Elias is his name, by the way. An appeals court said he was very unlikely to reoffend. Oh, really? This 90-year-old guy? Probably not going to re Yeah, okay. Um, <clears throat> so uh, a judge granted him compassionate release after all these years. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so he'll, he's going to fly to San Diego today. Today, Friday, December 17th, 2021. Uh, he's going to go and live with his sister for the remainder of his life. Uh, San Diego, by the way, in a state where you can now buy pot on just about any corner legally. So um, I hope he enjoys his release. And uh, uh, I, I hope he enjoys everything that California can now provide. Um, and uh, I'm happy you're free, sir. Um, uh, And Horatio, if you're listening, I recommend the hybrids, by the way. Interesting news in the world of genetic genealogy this week. You know how I like to talk about this. And every week new cases are being solved. But this week is so absolutely amazing because it's everybody that I love. My buddy, Margaret Press, who runs the DNA Doe Project, is involved in this. She did the solve. Her group, anyways, did the solve. And the story is written by my friend uh, and crime writer Stephanie Worsmith at the Beacon Journal right here in Akron. And the victim is a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame right here in Cleveland. What? This is nuts. Uh, so the story begins in 1982, February 1982, when human remains are found in a garbage bag behind a business in Twinsburg which is this little suburb outside of, outside of Cleveland. They, they're known for their Twins Days. Um, it's a sleepy, sleepy little Hamlet. Uh, <clears throat> the DNA Doe Project uh, began investigating this some time ago for Detective Eric Hendershot of the Twinsburg Police Department. Uh, <clears throat> and eventually uh, the DNA Doe Project, after some testing and genetic genealogy, they contacted Detective Eric Hendershot and gave him the name of uh, this family tree that they were looking into. And the name that kept popping up, the surname, was Little. Now, Eric Hendershot then does his job and tracks it down even more, finds out that the, uh, the remains actually belong to one Frankie Little Jr., who was a songwriter and guitarist for this R&B group called the OJs, which were huge in the 1960s. He helped write songs uh, such as Do the Jerk and Pretty Words. Um, the OJs, by the way, were inducted into the Rock, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2005. And uh, the last the band members knew of Frankie Little Jr., after he wrote Pretty Words, by the way, um, was that he fell in love with a woman from Cleveland. And he left the group to go back to her never to be seen again. Now his death has been ruled a suicide, and the search for his killer has begun. Um, before we leave here, I'm going to come back in just a second, but you know, you got you to check out this guy's writing. Here's a little sample from the OJ's Pretty Words. Let's check the charts real quick. This is uh, the charts by Chartable, the top true crime podcasts uh, at, uh, for the moment on uh, iTunes and such. Um, this is, uh, you know, there's nothing, there's no big surprises this week. Um, you've got your mainstays like uh, Crime Junkie and My Favorite Murder. Um but uh, what's interesting is the dropout continues to hold strong at number seven, um, mostly because of the ongoing trial for Elizabeth Holmes that's going on. Uh, remember, this is the woman that came up with this, this idea to have this like at-home device where you could uh, you know draw a little sample of blood and it could tell you everything wrong with you without having to go to the hospital and send the data over the internet. It would have changed everything. Uh, she was touted as the new Steve Jobs, um, and uh, here's here's where I get in a little trouble about this when I when I start talking about it at home um, with Julie, um, because I you know her hair, you know I know and I and I, I I hear it I hear I hear as I'm saying this the the misogyny but you know if it was a male. Whose hair was all frizzy like that? I would I would say you know you put in a little product. My hair gets like that if I don't do anything with it. It gets all fuzzy and like it sticks up in odd ways. Um, But I can't. I just can't with the hair. Um, If you look at pictures, it's like it's all messy. It looks like it hasn't been washed. If you know, that's that's all I I can I can concentrate on. And I'm I'm very sorry. It it makes me sound like a 43-year-old white man with nothing else to complain about, but um, what have you. Anyways, um, (laughs) earlier this week, Elizabeth Holmes took the stand in her own defense. Something is happening in the world of uh, justice, by the way, with all these these major profile uh, defendants taking the stand in their own defense. Something has shifted. They never before, you know, O.G.'s not going to take the stand. But Kyle Rittenhouse took the stand, and Elizabeth Holmes is taking the stand. And of all the articles I read about Elizabeth Holmes taking the stand, it was overwhelmingly positive. She really made an impression on the jury. Uh, she, she came across as very human. I, I wish I was in the courtroom so I could hear her voice. I don't know which one she chose. Um, but, but personally, I hope she makes that, m- makes, makes, uh, makes it out of this whole thing. In um, relatively uh, good standing, um, you know it, we're, we're dealing with corporate fraud. Um, anyways, uh, it's it, check out the Dropout. It's it's a very good podcast. Um, as always, uh, you know uh, check out this Repod app uh, that everybody's talking about, where you can listen to your favorite podcasts. And uh, after every episode, I, I I post some questions. I start a new. Message chat. You can reach me on there. We can talk about these these cases. Check it out. It's a good way to reach me. Um, and uh, that's that's it for this week, man. Uh, it's it's crazy crazy week. I'm sure it'll be even crazier next week as we get into the holidays. Um, you know, no, nothing brings out homicide quite like the holidays. Um, but remember, for now, it's Friday. We've made it. We're alive. And as the incomparable Murray Saul once said, we gotta, gotcha, 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 gotcha. gotta, 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 used under a Creative Commons license for use in this show. All sources are listed in the liner notes at the end of this episode. If you like the cut of my jib, please check out my other podcast, Philosophy of Crime. Unless quoted directly from a source, all content should be considered the opinion of the host. That's me, James Renner. See you next week.